Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your loving grace. Thank you, God, for giving us all that we need. And we thank you for your word today, that your word is alive. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Uh, it brings everlasting life. And so, Lord, we, we pray for the ministry of your word this morning, that you would use your servant, Dave, to preach, uh, to share your heart this morning. Oh, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks there, Sonny. So I don't know what everybody's doing this afternoon, <laughs> um, but you know when um, right before service, um, the intercessors were praying for me, which was, was awesome. And I think the word I got uh, for us this morning is um, courage. And I don't know what that means to you, but it might mean something. Um, and for me, when I, was, when, I, when I felt that the word was courage, for me it also meant courage in my faith. And as we're going through the book of John and who is Jesus, I think for me it was courage in my faith of who Jesus is. And then importantly, what am I supposed to do knowing what I know about Jesus? And so for you this morning, I just, my my prayer and my hope for you this morning is that something about that would resonate with you, uh, that wherever you are, that you would have courage in your faith this morning, and courage that God's placed you someplace, whether it's your work, your school, wherever you are, that he's placed you there for a reason. And also, I think, to have courage that there might be something in your life you've been like, oh, should I do this, should I do this? I, I think maybe the Lord is saying, have courage. When I first read the book of John, I think you guys all know the story, I didn't know who Jesus was. I, in fact, I didn't believe in Jesus. And, and so when I read, I read with this careful eye of uh, who is Jesus. I wanted to understand his character, right? And it's with this same lens um, that I'm going to point to you this morning to the key character traits of Jesus as I see it outlined in John chapter 7, 8, and 9. So we're going to cover three chapters this morning. <laughs> it's kind of a lot, a lot of ground to cover. But if you've been following along with us in the Nav Press John study, um, we're, we're covering lessons 9 and 10, if you're tracking with us, okay? Now, quick word about the John study, right? For those of you who have been following along, um, it, can be, it can be pretty heady, I think I was telling you. Like, it's very dense, the John study we're going through. And so... It can, you can start to feel a um, little discouraged or maybe even guilty if you don't get through everything in that, that lesson in the week. I don't know if you folks, some of you feel that way. And so I'm going to make a suggestion to you is if you're in a small group, as a small group, just cover the for the group questions at the end of the lessons, okay? And if you're in the small group, I would say and or, uh, Pick one or two questions in that week's study guide and just say, as a group, just say, you know what, we're going to just focus on this one or these two questions. Now, I would encourage you, obviously, to go through as many as you possibly can in that week. But if you are struggling with it because life happens, I would say just pick one or two questions that as a group or your partner, whoever you're going, with the, going over the study group with, the guide with, that you agree that this is the one question or two questions we're really going to focus on when we get together, okay? Uh, and then maybe it won't be so daunting for you, okay? So 
Uh, with that, let me just dive in. The first character trait that we see in Jesus in the chapter 7, 8, 9 is he has superhuman powers, right? So the, the, by the time we read about Jesus in chapter 7, we uh, find that we've already heard of several miracles. He's, he's turned water to wine. He's healed an official son. He's healed a crippled man. He's fed 5,000 hungry people with two fish and five loaves of bread with lot, like 12 baskets left over, right? We've seen him walk on water, right? And it continues in chapter seven. And in chapter seven, what we see is that he has this amazing command of scriptures. And it's, it's not just like, okay, well, there's a guy, he's pretty smart, he knows scriptures. Well, see, back in those days, the only people who really had the command of scriptures were the rabbis and those people who were training to be rabbis. And so here was Jesus, who was the carpenter's son. And he's like, how, how, how is it that that guy knows the scriptures so well? They couldn't figure it out because typically someone had to be training with a rabbi for years to get that level of knowledge. But that is one of these character traits we see of Jesus. And I call it like a miracle. How is it that someone just, bing, knows the scriptures so well? There was no such thing as being self-taught. Another miracle or another amazing superhuman power we see about Jesus is that throughout the book of John, people are getting angry at him and they want to take him prisoner. But what it says is he escapes each time and it doesn't mean that he just like barely escapes. But in John chapter 7 and verse 30 and in 7 verse 44, John talks about no one laid a hand on him. Now, if you think about that, that too is pretty amazing that he's in these crowd of people. There's a mob who wants to get him, and it says he gets away without any hand being laid on him. I think that's, when I think about it, I think that's pretty amazing. How does that happen? The other thing that you see about Jesus is that his words carry authority and power. See, there was a time when the guards were asked to take him prisoner, arrest that man. But in John chapter seven, verse 46, we learn that the guards come back and they're afraid to arrest him because they said, no one ever spoke the way this man does. It's another superhuman power of Jesus. He has words of authority. Then in chapter eight, we see that there's this woman who's caught in adultery. And all the, these Pharisees and other people bring this woman before him and they pick up stones and they're ready, to, they're ready to stone her to death. And you're thinking, that's it, you know, judgment and, and punishment all in one. And in this, this scenario, Jesus is able to, to forgive her of her sin. And not only that, he's able to save her from being stoned to death. And for me, in many ways, I look at that and I think, that might be even more amazing than walking on water. That might be even more amazing than like healing the crippled man, why? Because how do you change the minds of all these people who are trying to capture you and are, are pretty angry to begin with? How do you do that? In chapter eight, Jesus, in, in verses one through 11, you'll see that Jesus is able to take a situation where it looks like, oh man, it's not good for this woman. She's, she's pretty much gone. 
And he's able to get to a point where he not only forgives her. It's, in some ways, it's easy to forgive someone. You can just say, oh, I forgive you, right? It's even more amazing if I forgive you and then everyone who's about to kill you walks away. Think about that for a second, right? And then another character trait that exhibits the superhuman powers I see, and this is what was like, kind of like the ultimate, uh, you know, one of the big, big things he does. There's a man in chapter nine who was born blind and now he can see because of Jesus. And now this isn't like a little kid or he's got a little like sight problem. This is a grown man who's born blind and then he can see. And then you can read, read about that in chapter nine, verse six through seven. So what's incredible about Jesus, his superhuman powers is indisputably, he has this power to perform miracles. Strangers who never met him before testify to these miracles. And in fact, in chapter nine, the Pharisees and a lot of Jesus' opponents are trying so hard to even discredit the miracles themselves. They're trying to figure out like, no, no, that looks like the man who was born blind, but that's not him. His parents come up and they're like, no, that's our son. <laughs> he was born blind. Why don't you go talk to him, right? And instead, what remarkably happens is instead of discrediting Jesus, what ends up happening is they corroborate that the miracles actually happened. Not even the Pharisees and those who were opposed to Jesus and wanted him killed could dispute his power and could dispute the fact that he had superhuman powers and abilities. And that's the first character trait you see about Jesus in John in these chapters. Like, we gotta embrace, like, you know, this was the real deal. He had these, these gift of miracles that nobody had ever seen before. The second character trait is related to this, and it's that this use of power, they all have one thing in common, okay? So, so he turns water to wine, right? He heals an official son. He, he heals a crippled man. He feeds 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. He has this amazing command of scriptures that only these rabbis have, and they don't know how he got, got that. Uh, people can't lay a hand on him even if they're trying to capture him, right? Uh, guards try to arrest him, but they're scared of him because he speaks with authority, right? And then this woman has, is caught in adultery, ready to be stoned and killed, which is normal for the day, and he's able to forgive her and send her free, right? And then the blind guy who was born blind, he, he makes the guy see. What do all these miracles have in common? What do they have in common? And I think the one thing they have in common, and this is super important, I think when we, when we look at the character of Jesus, is that his miracles were done to meet the needs of people. He does it in love. His miracles aren't self, like self-promoting, self-serving, no, right? So, so, so let's just start with a hypothetical here. We know that this guy, Jesus, has superhuman powers, right? He heals really sick people, he heals the blind. He can turn water to wine. He can, he can feed people who are hungry out of like next to nothing. What if he decided he was gonna charge payment for healing? He'd be a pretty rich guy. He could build a big house and a temple to himself. He could have done it. What if Jesus wanted to open the world's best restaurant? 
you know what? His food cost would have been zero and the food would have been super good. It would have been five stars on Yelp, right? He could have done it. Or what if he said, I'm going to open the best wine bar and uh, you know that Tanioka's? I'm way better than that. And he's going to make 100% profit because guess what? It's only water he's turning to wine and it's going to be the best wine we ever had. He could have done that. Or he could have charged admission to watch, have people watch him walk on water. Think how much money David Copperfield made, right? Or Chris Angel. I mean, all these, all these guys. Jesus could have done 10 times more miracles, and you would have been like, oh, wow, we, we got to go see that. He could have done that. He could have even struck so much fear in people that they would have couldn't help to, to fall down and worship him. On the spot, he could have done that. But instead, the character of this Jesus is someone who heals the sick, the blind, the crippled, and feeds the hungry. And it's out of this love for the least of these that we see his power exercised. It is this power that is actually focused on helping people, having compassion on people, and it's not based on any self-serving aspect of it. Jesus' character then is one of love. He has, his character is compassion for people. He loves people. He loves you. He loves me. He loves that guy who holds the cardboard sign coming off the ward off ramp. He brings light and sight to this world, literally and figuratively. And the third trait that I see in Jesus, in, in John here, is that, you know, with all of these miracle and power and love and compassion, there's one thing we gotta make sure, is that he is not timid, passive, or does, he doesn't shy from controversy. What is your view of Jesus this morning? If you, if you were to close your eyes this morning and just have a picture in your mind of who Jesus is, what does he look like? What do you feel? If you were to describe Jesus to a friend who doesn't know Jesus, how would you describe him? Now imagine you hear someone say things like this. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I am the light of the world. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Whoever obeys my word will never see death. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. If you just heard someone say that and you didn't know who it was, it'd be pretty shocking because all of these claims sound to be someone who's saying they're God. But those are Jesus' own words, right? And reading the book of John, one thing is super clear to me is that Jesus is not just this sort of peace, love, and happiness, long-haired, long-beard, long-robe, Birkenstock-wearing, Hippie guy that is like, hey, peace, dude. <laughs> right? Sometimes you see these pictures of Jesus, you're like, really? In fact, when you read the book of John, he's exactly the opposite. He's radical. He's countercultural. What's happening with all these miracles that he's performing is that he's also saying, I am the Messiah that you've been waiting for. He doesn't shy away from that. He says, I am one with the Father. 
he says that he has this authority to perform these miracles because he's one with God. And this, you guys, is what stirs the controversy. This is what causes the debates among all the people, and not just the religious people, but all the people. In, in, the, in the Festival of Tabernacles, which they talk about in John chapter 7, and this is where it's like a, a big, like seven to eight day festival of like celebration, okay? And at the end of this huge gathering, right, it says this in, in verses 27 to 29 in verse, in chapter seven, it says, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. He didn't just go up and stood and say, hey, you know. No, it says in a loud voice, he says these words. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that is not the words of a meek, shy, hey, peace dude kind of guy. He's bold, he's confident, he is courageous, and he is not shying away from controversy. And so with all these miracles, the dilemma that people back then and even us today are going to be confronted with is, okay, I, I get that there are these miracles and they're, they're corroborated by all kinds of people and witnesses, and it can only come from God, right, this power, but the guy who's doing it is, con- is saying he is God. And for many people, they're trying to, they can't reconcile it. How does someone with superhuman powers and claim to be God, how do I put that together? Well, that is the tension at the height of Jesus' ministry. People cannot reconcile it. It's radical. It's confrontational. And as a result, not everyone is converting to Jesus. In fact, when you look in in John chapter 6, in verse 66, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, Jesus, at that, in that context, he was talking about, like we took communion this morning, he's saying, this bread and, and my blood, and you're going to eat my flesh, and you're going to drink my blood, and people are freaking out. They're like, this is weird teaching, and so people are leaving. They don't know that he's speaking about his spiritual body. They don't know that he's speaking about that he is God, and he's starting to create a stir. In fact, people by chapter 7, verse 12, are saying, some people say, he's a good man. And other people saying, no, he deceives people. See the tension that's being created. But the point, I think, in the character of Jesus, when you read, is that the bottom line is, the Lord that we follow, do not confuse that he is a passive, laid back, love everybody, okay kind of guy. He's going to stir up controversy. But he does it in love. And the fourth character trait I see from uh, reading John is Jesus also makes a very clear distinction between the Father and the Son. See, I don't know if, you, if you're someone this morning who might be just a little confused by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Like, what, what, what is that about? And I will tell you, you're, you're, if that's you, you're not alone. 
It can be that confusing. And that's where, when I read the book of John, this stuff started to come really clear to me. Remember back in the day when I first read the book of John many years ago, I think it was back in 94, I believed there was God. And I might even call it, okay, that's Father God. But remember, I was like, who's this Jesus guy? What does he mean when he says he's the son of God? And there are many instances in chapter seven and eight in which Jesus makes specific reference to the father and the son, okay? In chapter seven, verses 16, 17, and 28, he says things like, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. My teaching comes from God. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. Then in chapter 8, he says, I stand with the Father who sent me. This is verse 16. And then in 28 and 29, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And in 42, he says, I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. And in 54, my father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Jesus is the son of God, distinct from the father God, and one with the father at the same time. And this character trait is particularly important to me, you guys, because it was then and it can even now be confusing for some of you, when, when you see the blurring between God the, Son, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I like how in chapter 7 and 8 in particular, Jesus made it clearer for me by explaining this distinction between the Father and the Son. And he's also explaining alignment between Father and Son. And we'll see in later chapters how it all kind of ties together. But for now, you will see the distinction between God the Father Jesus the Son, and then the Holy Spirit, which we'll be talking about actually in another series. So let's review it real quick. Jesus, character of Jesus, superhuman powers. Superhuman powers that are really to the benefit for the needs of others, out of love and compassion for other people. It's not power that's used to be self-serving. Jesus is also someone who is not timid or passive, and he doesn't shy away from controversy. And he's also someone who's making a distinction between father and the son. And so now implication time, right? What do you think? We have a person who is superhuman, powerful in Jesus. He, he, out of this power, we see his love and his compassion for other people, never using this power for, in a self-serving manner. He's bold and he doesn't shy from controversy making a clear distinction between the Son and the Father, if you agree that he performed these miracles and he has these character traits and only God can perform these miracles, how do you know the character of God? How do you know what the character of God is? And for me, it was in Jesus, I saw the reflection of God himself. And I, I saw the distinction between the Son who was walking here on earth and God the Father. And in fact, God is this man, Jesus. 
and there's perfect alignment with the Father. And it, it, at that moment for me, it was like, oh, okay. I get who this Jesus guy is. And now the book of John has 21 chapters. And we're only on chapter 9, okay? So we're like halfway there. So we have a lot more to learn about who is Jesus. But I, I thought to close this morning, I would take this story of the blind man in chapter 9 the one that Jesus gives sight. Because to me, the story is very intriguing and so symbolic for this journey into accepting that Jesus is Lord. So we start in John chapter 9, verse 11. These neighbors and those who saw this blind man begging inquired, like, what happened, right? And the blind man says, the formerly blind man replies, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Okay? The man repeats it to the Pharisees. He replies to the Pharisees about you know, who he thinks Jesus is. They say, who do you think this guy is? And the, guy, the man says in, in verse 17, he is a prophet. Then they send for the man's parents, and they confirm, yep, that's our son who was born blind. Then they send for the man a second time, the, blind, the formerly blind guy. And, and they say, you know, this guy, Jesus, he's a sinner. And, and the blind man, formerly blind man says, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And the Pharisees start to ask the man to repeat just how Jesus opened his eyes. And the man now starts to get pretty annoyed because they keep asking him the same question. And he keeps saying the same thing. So finally, this man says, the formerly blind man says, you don't know where he, Jesus, comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And then Pharisees get all upset and throw this guy out. And then Jesus finds this man who was thrown out, the formerly blind man. And he's asked this, the blind man, formerly blind man, do you believe in the son of man? And, and the man says, who is he, sir? Tell me so I may believe in him. And Jesus replies, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And now catch this. The man replies to Jesus and says, Lord, I believe, I believe, and he worshiped him in verse 30 to 30, 35 to 38. If you break down this story, it is super remarkable to me. Why? First, when you, we first meet the formerly blind man who, who becomes, uh, he can see again with Jesus' blessing and help. He just says, I don't know this guy, Jesus. Then they question him and he says, who, they say, who is this man? He says, a prophet. Then they push further, and they say, you know, he's a sinner. And the guy goes, I don't know if this guy is a sinner or what, but he made me see. And finally, when the guy directly interacts with Jesus, he moves from, the guy's name was Jesus, to the, guy's name, the guy was some prophet, I don't know if he's a sinner, to worshiping Jesus. You see the journey of this man who was formerly blind. 
And when I read it like that, you guys, I thought of it as like, you know what? That's my journey. See, I knew there was God. I didn't know who this Jesus guy was. I knew there was this name of this guy named Jesus. He was probably a good man. He was like peace-loving guy with Birkenstocks, and he loved people. And maybe he was a prophet from God, if there was such a thing. But it wasn't until my personal encounter with Jesus that, like the blind man, that I began to worship him. And amazing in this way, the blind man who Jesus removes his blindness lived thousands of years ago. His story is my story. His story is our story. And we hear his name. We think Jesus might be one of many prophets. He might be a good teacher of God. But when we encounter him, in a personal way, that's when we see that he is way more than a prophet, that he's God himself, and he's worthy of our worship. So as you continue the book of John, and I hope you do, and I hope you're diving into the study, and I don't know where you are in your belief and courage and faith in Jesus this morning, but I truly believe you're gonna come to a point where you're gonna say, there's only three options, okay, about who is Jesus, He's either some crazy guy, he's an amazing liar, or he's God. Which one is he to you? Do you believe in the miracles and the power that Jesus has? If so, do you believe he did it in love and compassion for those in need? If you then accept Jesus had superhuman powers, in love for those, and, can, and that power can only come from God, and it flows through Jesus because he is one with God, how, if you don't believe that, how else do you explain the miracles of, and where the power of Jesus comes from? When you see that the power benefits those in need, those least of us, who, who people sometimes overlook and walk across to the other side of the street when they see someone in need, when you see that power and that love, can that power only come from God? And if not, where else does it come from? When you see the distinction between the Father and the Son, and Jesus says to the formerly blind man, do you believe in the Son of Man? He doesn't at this point say, do you believe in me? Do you believe in God the Father? He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? I felt like, like Jesus was telling that guy, do you believe in God in human form? Do you believe that there's God walking amongst you right now? I am the Messiah that people have been waiting for. We see then the importance of Jesus and his humanity, his godliness. See, this morning, I think the message, again, like I said, is I titled it Light, Sight, and Blindness. Jesus brings us light and sight to this world. But like the Pharisees, there are going to be some who are going to remain spiritually blind. Which one are you? I think we've got to ask ourselves this morning, do we choose light and sight or do we choose the risk of being spiritually blind? And so I go back to when the intercessors are praying this morning. I think it does come back to courage. 
I think it comes back to courage that I think it's speaking to you this morning that we're supposed to have courage right now, you guys. It's not okay, I think, to just come to Sunday service, be like, oh, that was a good message, or that was an okay message, or whatever. Go to your Super Bowl party. Do whatever you're going to do with the rest of your life and the rest of this week. I think we're supposed to have courage. And I think you would pray, what does that mean for you this morning? If you really, truly believe that there's Jesus, what are you supposed to be doing today? Why not you stand with me as we close? I'm going to pray for that this morning, that that will be revealed to us, yeah? All right. Heavenly Father, this morning, I, I'm going to pray into this word of courage that everyone here, Lord, would have the courage and boldness in their faith and belief in you, Jesus. And in who you are, the Son of Man. And what is it that you want us to do? What is it that you want us to do? Maybe there's something this morning that we've been sort of stepping back from, being a little bit fatalistic on. Well, uh, it's not going to work out. I'm just going to let it go. And that's us and that you this morning. Lord, I pray you give us the courage and boldness that only comes from you, that you would flow through us this morning in our places of work, when we go to the parties after this, whoever we interact with after this morning's service, that we would be witnesses to you so that Jesus won't just be some good guy, some prophet, some do-gooder, but that you would be God in their lives. Could we, could we receive that this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.